and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks resource website and blog. And my passion is to educate the world about Alzheimer's and memory loss and after a journey of 30 years with my mom and her memory loss. For those of you who are new to our show, I want to just give you a brief introduction to what Alzheimer's Speaks Radio is all about. Our goal here is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's disease. Our channel expert, Rick Phelps, I'm not sure if he's going to make it here today or not, but if I see him um, pop online, we'll just pull him right in. But we do have two fantastic guests um, that I cannot wait to share with you. But before that, I just want to go over a little bit more housekeeping. On our home page, there is a chat box, so if you have any questions, feel free to just, uh, you know, jot us a note, a comment, or a question. I'll try to be reviewing those as we go. Or you can always call in live to the number on the website, which is 714-364-4757. And um, just push one, and you'll get into the queue, and I will try to grab your call and, and take that. And... Um, so we're ready to rock and roll here. It's Friday. We've all made it through another week. And today I want to introduce Sherry Fisher and Tom O'Neill. Sherry is um, out east in Philadelphia, and I met her actually through my blog, Alzheimer's Speaks. And I will never, ever, ever forget Sherry or her mother as long as I live because they had such a huge impact on me one Halloween evening, and Sherry and I will talk a little bit maybe about that story later on. And then Tom O'Neill is out west, and he's out in Monterey, California. And I got to know Tom through Memory People, which is Rick Felt's um, group on Facebook, which is for the memory-impaired caregivers, both family and professional, along with advocates. And so today we have two caregivers who both cared um, for their mothers. Tom is still caring for his mom. Sherry's mom has since passed. And we've called this show, you know, Real Talk from Crisis to Comfort. And so what I want to do is just have each of them just kind of introduce themselves a little bit more. So, Tom, if you wouldn't mind taking the lead and just tell people a little bit about yourself, who you are, and how you how you got to be a caregiver. Sure will. Uh, thanks, Lori, and uh Hi to you too, Sherry. Uh, Hi. I'm I, I'm Tom. I'm 56, and never thought I would ever be caring for my mom. A uh, little bit about my background and stuff. Uh, my father was in, was a career naval officer. We moved a lot. We got to California when I was 16 years old. Figured we were going to live here for three or four more years, and it was going to be time to move again. Uh, that was in 1971. 1974, my father had a massive heart attack and died at the age of 47. Uh, Mom's been living in this house ever since. I stayed with Mom through my college years, uh, taking classes at universities and coming home. And coming home. Uh, I was 19 when my, when my dad died. Uh, decided to move to Silicon Valley and uh, do my marketing, do my high-tech marketing and computer stuff, and did that for 20 some odd years. Uh, with most of the time sp uh, spending weekends at home with mom, um, about five, six, five, six years ago, I started to notice things were changing with mom. 
but it wasn't anything really too terrible, terrible. Uh, three and a half years ago, things really started to act weird. Like, uh, Mom loved to iron, to, to wash and iron my dress shirts for me. So I came home one Friday afternoon, and lo and behold, two of the shirts were half ironed, and one shirt was ironed and hung up inside out. I figured, hmm, something's really going on here now. Then on the 15th of August, 2008, Mom fell and broke her hip. And the week in the hospital and anesthesia and general you know, confusion in hospitals really started Mom's big decline. Uh, also, due to, um, also coupled with a lack of mobility, uh, it, it, it ain't very, very hard for Mom. Uh, over the last, so and basically at that point, I pretty much steeled myself in my mind that doing high-tech marketing consulting was not going to work. I was going to have to stay here and take care of Mom. And that's how I sort of moved into the role of caretaker. Okay. Now for been, been doing it now for three years. I'm still learning. I don't think I'll ever quite get it down right. Like, I'm, like I tell people, I'm a practicing Catholic. I keep practicing. I never have that down right either. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to thank you, Tom. I want to ask, can everybody hear Tom? Okay, it's a little garbled at my end. And so if you're on the show, if you can chat in the note in the chat box if we're having any problems there. But Sherry, could you hear him okay? Uh, yeah, I heard him fine. Okay, so uh, it's me at my end once again. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that, that's a kind of the hostess, Lori. <laughs> oh, yeah, something's always going on at my end, I tell you. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit of um, history on how you got to be a caregiver. Sherry, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? and, and Sure. How you um, I will be 57 in September, and... I became a caregiver because my mom was diagnosed in 2004 with Alzheimer's, the same month that I was also diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was a role that, with my mom, I never in a million years thought I had to be the caregiver. My mother was always the strong person of the family, but the roles were reversed when when she was diagnosed. And... It was a tough road. But I have a brother, I have two other sisters, and I am the oldest. And maybe for about four years, I actually I had absolutely no help. So I was trying to fight breast cancer and deal with my mother's illness at the same time. Pardon me, Sherry, that, that sounds like the daily double we don't want to win. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it was very very hard, extremely hard, especially because I didn't have help. But in the meantime, I uh, married, uh, was remarried again and to a very wonderful man who has been so supportive during this whole time. And and that's what helped me cope with my mother's illness and doing what I had to do in order to take care of her. And that was as far as taking care of my home as well as my mother's, her finances, doctor's appointments, uh, going before work, going after work, and on the weekends, tending to her needs. Oh, my goodness. I yeah. can't even imagine, Sherry. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was rough. Oh, my gosh. I um, 
Well, I have to apologize because I my call got dropped in the meantime. So you guys did quite well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and so I ended up calling in on another line, and then I got reconnected again. So, oh, okay. Um, but, I, but I know your your story, Sherry, and I just, I, you know, caregiving is such a stressful role to begin with, and then to have go in with such a major health concern yourself. Um, like I said, I I just I can't even begin to imagine um, what. Yes, it was a very it was a really dark period for me. Um, so much so that I had to get on antidepressants because all I did was cry. I cried for months uh-huh. because I wanted my mother to be there for me. For so I was selfish in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I wanted my mother to be there because she was always there for me and mm-hmm. my my siblings. But more so, I was fighting this ugly disease, and I just wanted her to be there, and she couldn't. She tried, but it was hard for her. She tried her best, but it was really hard for her, and it was hard for me mentally. Oh, sure, sure. Can you um, each tell us when you first began to kind of notice some some signs and symptoms and maybe give us some examples of that? And, and Tom, I'm going to bounce back to you again on that. Okay, uh, I started noticing <clears throat> when you know, uh, you, you, um, just uh, just a little bit of, just a little bit about mom too. Uh, in the seventies, mom was the Martha Stewart of the nineteen seventies. She did everything perfectly. Everything was immediately done. She made treehouse or drapes. She made all her own clothes, and she baked and cooked and did everything just beautifully. I started to notice when I would come home on the weekends that all of a sudden the knives that used to be in the right-hand drawer are now in the left-hand drawer. And the silverware was misplaced. And the things just weren't things just weren't as they were. That was my first sign. And I started to call it uh, the 180 out syndrome. Things like left and right were reversed. Clothes that used to be in one closet were now in another one. Uh, and then I started noticing problems with dressing. Like I don't know how Mom did this, but she would put on <laughs> she would put, put on two pair of pantyhose, one leg in one side, and the other leg just hanging out there. Oh, that, so I thought, hmm, this is interesting. Then I started to notice that Mom would put tops on as skirts, mm-hmm. and skirts on as tops, more as one eighty out stuff. And that's when I really started to think, uh, I'm, I'm not liking how this is going. Yeah. And I, we, we went to a neurologist. We were referred to a neurologist, and she did really well on the little mini mental state exam. She knew how to subtract, you know, c- count backwards by nine from 100. And we went a year later, and it was like, count backwards by what? From who? One other thing I noticed was, uh, bills and mail and things started to become very, very strange. I looked at her checkbook one day, and she had written two checks to the power company for the same amount sequentially, like $302.32, two checks. Uh-huh. Then, about six months later, I looked at the checkbook again, and the math was all wrong. It was like it was like $4,132 minus $3,750 is 8 Okay. <laughs> so that was that was another dead giveaway sign that something was not right here. Uh-huh. How about you, Sherry? Do you remember anything in particular? Yes. Um, my mom was such a sweet woman. 
everybody loved my mother. And she was also a school teacher. And uh, she taught um, socially disadvantaged kids, socially challenged kids. And she was a specialist in math and reading. And she loved her kids so much, and they and they loved her. They would come visit her at her home. And I noticed when my mother would argue with me, and she would say, you didn't tell me that. And I'm like, Mom, I did tell you that. But she was just extremely argumentative, and that that was not my mother. And then my mother was very particular about her clothing. She was just the best-dressed woman. And I noticed she was wearing um, maybe the same pair of pants for three days in a row. And her hygiene changed. And um, she she couldn't meet. We would go out regularly to uh, dinner on the weekends, and she couldn't meet me at certain place, at certain restaurants. She would get lost. Yep. And um, I, I just couldn't understand. And I said, something's wrong. So I discussed it with um, our primary care doctor. We happened to share the same doctor. And um, I said, Something's going on with my mom. So he said, "You think I should mention it?" I said, "No, I want her. I, I want you to just maybe take a look next time she visits." And he gave her the assessment test, and she failed. Yeah. And it went downhill from there. Okay, yeah, it's 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 hard. I, I remember with my mom, she had all kinds of notes written all over the place: how to use the TV, how to answer the phone. She had a three-ring binder. She used to be a uh, a proofreader, and she was so worried about losing her job, she made a little three-ring binder of how to do her job. And, um, you know, she learned to tell time by what was on TV. So we always had to keep it on Channel 4 because she knew time of day by the shows that were on TV because she couldn't read the clock and stuff anymore. And, you know, the mechanical things started going where she couldn't use the dishwasher, the microwave, or uh, you know, or even answer the phone. It would be upside down, and um, it, it was it was um, it's an amazing disease to watch. Um, absolutely so- incredible because it's so different for each individual, you know, person. And when their social skills are good, it, it can be hidden so well. My mother also, um, I noticed her checkbook one day also, and. Uh, she had withdrawal for $9,000, and then the same day that afternoon, she withdrew $5,000. I said, something's wrong. What's going on? What are you doing, Mom? And we, we knew something was, I knew something was wrong because that, that just is not normal. Sure. Rick is just, he's on the chat uh, room here, and he noted that, you know, patients don't like it when there's a 20-question routine. You know, just ask one thing at a time and mm-hmm. let them answer that and kind of slow things down and just listen and be patient with with the person before you, um, with the patient before you. Mm-hmm. So he said he's unable to call, but he's listening and good show. So you guys are doing a good job. So <laughs> Thank you. What I've uh, what I've what I've had the hardest time with up until about two years or so ago was with watching mom kind of unwind. Uh, all the things that she knew how to do slowly and surely left her, 
And being um, having studied psychology a number of years ago in um, in college, I think okay, so this is this is just like how and it's just like the unwinding of all the things that you learn while you're growing up, like how to tie shoes, how to put your clothes on, how to brush your teeth, how to, how to do all these things. They just slowly but surely unwind. Yeah, I remember when I noticed my mother couldn't read anymore. That that was that was heartbreaking. Because yeah. she she did that for a re- <laughs> for a living. She right, did. right. Yeah. Like, mom, you can't read. And I mean, I never said that to her, but yeah. it, it was just too much, too much. Yeah, she couldn't that's... count money anymore. She, she just couldn't make any decisions. Yeah, my mom was. I'll never forget. Was in the nursing home, and she had. You know, my mom chose to move in there because my dad ended up there with brain cancer the last couple months of his life, and, and she said, you know, we've been together 49 and a half years. I'm not leaving him now, even though the plan was to live with us. And it's like, well, how can you argue with love? She wants to be with the man she loves, you know. And I'll never forget coming in one day, and she would always sit by the front door. And most people thought she was a visitor because her social skills were great, and, you know, she had beautiful clothes, and her hair got done, and, I mean, she she was still able to, you know, groom herself, and physically her body hadn't changed, you know. And so one day I walked in, and here's my mom sitting in this, this wing-back chair, reading the paper upside down. <laughs> and And I remember a couple of people walking in before me, kind of giggling and pointing and laughing, and I thought, you know, we really have to educate people on how yeah. to deal with this with dignity. So I just, I went up to my mom and I said, Mom, can I just check the paper? There's something on the back here that I just want to read really quick and I'll give it right back to you. So she gave me the paper and then I flipped it over and then put it in her hands the right way. But it was a routine and a pattern for her to read the paper. So for, gosh, I bet almost two years, she got the paper, even though she couldn't read because it was part of her routine, and it was normal, and it was calming for her. Um, but again, when those kind of errors take place, it's not about this right or wrong, turn it upside down or you can't read anymore. It's about their routine and their comfort and, and allowing them to have that. Because, it, it, I mean, it doesn't make any difference to us if they can read the paper or not. Right. You know, it's about right. it's about dignity. So do you remember how he felt, you know, prior to going to the doctor? Um, Sherry, I'll let you start this one um, with your mom. Before your mom was formally diagnosed? Um, I knew that my I work in the health system, and I knew my mother had Alzheimer's before she was diagnosed. And um, it it was just just unbelievable. Alzheimer's is harder on the family than the person who's, who actually has the disease. But what I remember most during that time was humor. It was real important for me to make my mother laugh. And and that's what I did. Yep. I, I had to make her laugh. That was just important to me. She was always serious, but for me, like I told you before, Lori, I am the comedian of the family. So I always made a laugh. Well, that's wonderful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the the comment on, you know, it's harder on the family, I think it depends on the the process. I think it's difficult on both sides because, you know, I I personally don't have um, 
memory loss. So my daughter would argue that point, I'm sure. <laughs> she says, I remember nothing, you know. Um, but I, you know, I think it's it's got to be really frustrating. I remember my mom in her very early stages, and I think that was the worst stage when she knew she didn't know. And yep. once she got past, you know, that stage of knowing that she didn't know anymore, then then it wasn't so much of an issue. But in that knowing that you don't know, then I think there becomes a lot of paranoia. Um, or anyways, that's what we saw with my mom. I mean, my poor sister-in-laws, we, they, my folks looked up at the lake, and my poor sister-in-laws could not go in my mother's kitchen because she would sit in the living room and stare. I mean, just seething stare. I mean, you could just feel the fire on your back because she didn't know who those women were. And so I always had to cook and do all the cleaning and everything because she still knew who I was. And, and it was um, and my sister-in-law felt horrible about that. And I'm like, no, it's about keeping her calm and comfortable. This is fine. I don't and, have I don't have a problem with this, you know. And Lori, the sad thing about this whole experience is, my mother and I never discussed that she had Alzheimer's. Uh-huh. She was an extremely proud woman. And she refused to talk about it. Okay. See, my mom, my mom used to joke about it, and she she would introduce me sometimes at the nursing home. And this is my mother, and she takes care of me so well. And there was always there was this one particular woman who lived at the nursing home, and that drove her bananas. And she would yell, Dorothy, that's not your mother, that's your daughter. And she would correct her. And and everyone would just kind of like, oh, you know, what's Dorothy going to do? And my mom would look at the woman and laugh and go, you know what, I got Alzheimer's. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody would laugh and the woman would get even madder. We've got Kathy on the line and she was mentioning with her mom that she would um, sometimes make checks out to the wrong bill and then, you know, maybe mail it in but not with the check or with the wrong bill. And yeah. so Mm-hmm. And Leanne, let's see, what's Leanne saying here? That her mother-in-law started asking the same questions over and over, um, and we all know what that one's like, and, mm-hmm. and that's really sad. And it's it's really difficult. On how do you answer, you know, that same question over and over without getting frustrated and making that person feel bad? How did two, how did you guys two and a half two and a half years ago? I struggled with that more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Because because mom was always the kind who you tell her once and she and she'd know it. She lost that ability, uh, and it took me a long time to finally just say, "Okay, Tom, she's going to ask the same question over and over again, so we'll give her the same answer over and over again." And it um, it will literally drive you nuts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Tom, how about you? You know, before your mom went into the doctor, how were you feeling inside? Were you kind of- I. I felt like okay, she has Alzheimer's or dementia or um um um. Personally, I think mom has mom has what's called mixed dementia, which is all, some Alzheimer's and some vascular. Uh-huh. Um, can't really tell. Yes, can't really tell anyway. And I had a feeling that she was slipping faster than she was before, and I was perfectly steeled to the idea that okay, she's not going to get any better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried the Aricepin um, and the Menda stuff, and that's when the little green people were coming in from the backyard. Oh, yeah. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. 
the neurologist is a fine guy, but I know more about Alzheimer's from talking to all the people who I've talked to than he will ever know. Uh-huh. And well, Go oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, so I it, I mean, it kind of crept up on me slowly that mom has a really bad condition, and it's not going to get any better, and we're simply going to have to, through some prayer and some love, find the best way to handle this. And the best way to handle this was for me to move back in and take care of mom. Uh, and it's gotten to the point now where... You know, we sort of we sort of long for those days we used to have when mom could put on two sets of pantyhose. <laughs> she can't do it at all now anymore. And we sort of long for those days when she would ask the same question because she's not doing that too much anymore. Like her her favorite question was, "What are we going to do now?" And I don't hear that anymore because mom is living in her own little world. Isn't it funny and, what we miss? As <laughs> I mean, it is. It's it's amazing, um, you know, that we don't we don't appreciate all the time when we're going through the loss of really how much is still there. Right, right. Yeah. So as um, as far as um, siblings go, um, how did how did your siblings partake in all of this? Um, sharing how how did they um, react? I know mine were very different than how I reacted. and My siblings were in denial, and they thought that um, I wanted my mother to have Alzheimer's. I'm like, no, she went to a doctor. She was properly diagnosed, and they thought I, I was making it up. I said, but you're, you, you could feel free to go with me to her next appointment. But I, I just had no support from them at all, and that's when things started turning very, very ugly. And um, to this day, Lori, as you know, we have, uh, I have no relationship with my siblings at all. It's sad, and I think that's much yes. more common out there than, than what we realize as a society. I know my, my two brothers, you know, pretty much stepped back and said, you can handle it. But in looking back, a lot of that was my own fault because I was a perfectionist and a control freak. And so no matter what they did, wasn't going to match my standards. So it's just mm-hmm. like, Go ahead and you take it, you know. And I and I've learned that that's not a good way to be. And it's not all my fault because it was also easier for them. But they missed out on so much, and they're realizing that now, how much they've missed by not by being too scared yeah. and being too afraid to be involved. How about you, Tom? Did you have siblings or not? Um, I um, I have a five year younger sister. Okay. Uh, man, she's she, she's married, and they don't have any children. So my sister is diabetic. Mm-hmm. But uh, before before Mom's real steep decline happened, oh, we did take care of all of the power of attorney paperwork and the living trust and all the other stuff while Mom was still competent enough to sign the papers. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we when when we did that in consultation with the uh, with the lawyer, we Mom re rewrote you know who gets what uh-huh. and. And my sister and brother-in-law were extremely agitated with that, to the point of some really nasty words being being exchanged. Uh, then when mom fell, my sister was on the phone with the hospital every day, almost all day long for six days, because she wanted to make sure that mom was being you know taken care of. Mm-hmm. The only problem is that my sister only lives 300 miles away, uh-huh. and there's scheduled air service between the two communities. 
at, at one point, I got mad at my sister. And I said, I said, sister, if it had been me, I would have been on the next plane up here. Mm-hmm. And she, oh, well, anyway, my sister has not called my mom. She's written cards, but she's not called my mom since the fifth, since the 21st of August, 2008. For all um, intents and purposes, we do not exist. Yeah, and that is, is so sad, and it's so it's so so common. I, I had a lot of anger, I think, with my brothers, and I tried to stuff it. And then I, I came to a realization where I'm not going to spend my energy on this anger with them. They they have to live their lives. They have to you know live with the consequences of their choices, just like I do. I am all I can do is control what it is that I have to offer. And that's what I'm going to focus on and do the best job that I can. And once I did that, it was um, it was such a relief. And I felt this big burden being lifted because I, and I hate to even say that I forgave them because, again, I'm, I, I'm at this point in my life now where I try really hard not to judge others, no matter what it is they do, yeah. um, and just accept that's their choice. And that's their journey, and hopefully they learn if there's mistakes along the way to correct that. Um, but I, I really have come to realize that a lot of who I was forgiving was was myself for judging them, because that was really the crux of of my anger. Yeah. Because again, one, of sad, one of the sad things that just happened with uh, with with mom and I just uh, just this last week. Uh, my mother's room is what I call the sister shrine. It mm-hmm. has pictures of my sister from every. The walls are covered. Mm-hmm. Mom, mom woke up a couple of days ago, and looked at the wall and said, "Who's that girl? <laughs> That's her daughter." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's that girl? Oh, okay. So, obviously, it's taken three years for mom's memory to lose the idea of ever having a daughter. Yeah. And and that might pop back too. Yeah, I mean it's it just yeah, because it it's could. gone yeah. one second doesn't mean it's gonna be gone yeah. forever either. Right. I, I know my mom hasn't said my name in, in several years and one day you know, it was it was probably um two to three years and all of a sudden one day out of the blue, you know, we were kinda I I made a joking statement and out of a dead sleep she woke up and joked back. Yeah, it's kind of like a, I mean, it's kind of like uh, the, the thing. You know, even a blind squirrel can find a nut from time to time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mom, mom has this, this, and, and this must go way back in mom's uh, to, to mom's childhood. She has a thing where she will sing song the days of the week, but it always begins on Tuesday, and it'll be like oh. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, nine o'clock mass. <laughs> well, so no on Tuesday. So on Tuesday, no on Tuesday, and, and oh, and no Monday. No Monday. <laughs> no Monday. So on Tuesday, she's correct. <laughs> well, you get to hump day faster that way. There's right, no right. Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. You get to the weekend, and no, I'm saying yeah. no one likes Monday, so let's just kind of get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not all so bad. So, how about you know the medical staff that you guys have worked with, as the doctors and the professionals? Um, how how has that gone for you? Some families have great experiences. Others, you know, find that there's some tips. Um, others just say it was horrendous. Uh, Tom, how was your experience with, with my, medical profession? 
my experience with my mom's primary care physician has been pretty good. She just told her, she, she, she said, this is the way it's going to be. She's going to, she'll be fine for three months, and then there'll be a big fall down. Then she'll be fine for three months, and then, then there'll be another big decline. And she's been, she's been right. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the neurologist, as I said before, is basically useless. Uh, great, great bedside manner, but he, he he can't fix mom's condition like he could fix a bullet wound. So uh, there's there's not a lot for him to do. Other uh, people went, uh, in the um, in the phase when we're going to emergency rooms quite a bit due to mom's either falling or her back hurts or something like this. Everyone's very very nice and calming, and they sort of look at me like I like I know what you're going through, but they really don't. Yeah. Uh, Mom's mom's primary care physician uh, did her internship at UC um, at uh, UCLA LA Med Center, so she's seen all kinds of stuff. But she, and and, and she's better than the other people are. The other doctors who haven't personally gone through it don't get it. It's, I mean, it's just like people who haven't gone through it don't get it. Doctors are just people too. Yeah, Sherry, do you have anything to add on that, or was that kind of your experience too? Yeah, um, her primary physician, care physician, was wonderful. And then when we went to the uh, phase where she had to be um, uh, a resident in the nursing facility, I had a lot of help because um, I knew people and they would direct. I had good resources, excellent. Uh And so they would direct me and they would tell me what to do, what to say, and the nursing staff, they were wonderful while we were there. Um, I don't know what happened after, but my mother experienced a lot of falls, a lot of bruising, and I'm going to say it's because my mother was really busy. Out of 24 hours a day, she walked 23 and a half. (laughs) And and I didn't realize until the end that she was blind. I, I didn't even know it, and they didn't know it. And I was angry about that because how do you not know this patient is blind? Mm-hmm. So she was constantly falling, and oh, it was it was just really bad at the at the end. It was bad, but when hospice services were called in, it was wonderful. Oh, great! They they are They're wonderful people, caring people, and they really care about you as a caregiver. Really care, and they. They care about the patient. Yep, very, very much so. Now, Rick Rick has a question here. He is wondering if there's one thing that you could have changed about, you know, something that your loved one did, what would it be? And, and I know, you know, over the span of this disease, that might be really different from really early onset to later on. But is there one thing that that you would have, you know, wish could have been changed or could have been done differently. That's a that's a good question. I maybe I can answer it uh, sort of tangentially about what I would have changed about me. Okay. I would have done more things with mom that she ended up loving to do before she couldn't remember that she did that she did them anymore. Uh, it's called. Go to Europe. Go to Europe ten years earlier. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, because mom, e- even a year ago, January, 
mom and I went to Europe for two weeks, and she loved getting on the airplanes, and she loved being on the trains, and she loved this, and she loved that, and she just loved it. And now I say, you know, do we? I, I can't say do you want to do, do you want to do anything anymore, but she gets disoriented even going to like we went to a restaurant yesterday, and I had we had lunch with four people I used to work with, and she had no idea who these people were, and she had no idea where she was. Just as long as she could eat fish and chips and Dunkin' figures and a tartar sauce, she's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's see. It looks like Kathy's got a question here, a comment. Let's see. Um, so did my mom? Oh, let's see. Her mom fell a lot, and but she was at home until death, and she also had a lot of seizures. And she was saying that hospice is wonderful too. Yeah, they are just incredible, and more people have to understand the gift that they really are in this process because um, they do care for the whole family. It's not just the patient, and it's not just the caregiver. I mean, they really look at what's best um, for everybody. And, you know, they're there a year after the fact. Yes, I agree. Um, My mother's been gone since January 2010, and to this day, hospice, the the, uh, hospice services still contact me just to see how I'm doing. Mm -hmm. They are wonderful people. Yeah. Now, this question, I had to laugh because I send these questions out a lot of times ahead of time, and I, and I had to giggle at Tom's answer on this one. Um, and the question was, what if anything changed in your life and your relationship once there was a formal diagnosis? And, um, Tom, I don't even know if you have your notes of what you wrote here. Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Tom's comment was nothing, except I moved back home to care for her. Like, like that's not a huge thing. <laughs> and I just thought, but that just shows your, you know, your sense of humor. And, and I mean, that's pretty, that's a pretty life-changing event. And for you uh, to really say nothing. You see, you see, where it's not a life-changing event for me was because for the first 17 years of my life, that's what we did. We moved. Uh-huh. So packing packing up and moving is no big deal. Uh, that's just you know, and um, and 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 when I was working in um, in high tech, uh, high tech marketing and things, it was routine for me to go away for a week and to be in five different hotel rooms in a week. Yeah, and that's that's not always fun. But yeah. but to to move and then be committed to care for someone at the level you're caring for them, yeah. that's huge. That's, and, and I and I really commend you for doing that because a lot of a lot of people you know can't do that um, yeah, and a lot well, of people um, won't do that. If um, um if I if I if I had made different life and career choices, I could have been married with three kids living on the other side of the country. Yep. Yep. And that you you, you can't do it then. Mhm. Makes it much more much more complicated. Though I know on memory people there are a couple of people who have uprooted their families and and moved back home to yep. care for to care for loved ones. And you know there's no right or wrong. Everybody's got to do what's best what's best for them. How about you, Sherry? Um. Um. In terms of you know how how did this change your relationship? Um, once formal diagnosis hit with your mom and, and I learned patience. Mm-hmm. I learned how to be more patient. And I learned how to allow my mother to have her dignity. Um, I never argue with my mother. I didn't before but more so after she was diagnosed 
whatever she said, it was fine with me. She asked questions over and over and over. I just answered. So for some some kind of way, I just developed an enormous amount of patience. Isn't that, I mean, that, and that's a gift. That's a gift. I mean, She I never know. bothered me. She just never, she never got on my nerves. Uh-huh. Wonderful. You so, are obviously you are obviously a more patient person than I am, Sherry. <laughs> I, I don't know where it came from, but it's just it just made me patient because yeah. my mother she would do anything for you, and I figured that's the least I can do for her. It's just uh, that I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's taken me a while to learn patience. Uh, <laughs> Rick, or, Rick or, or, or 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 to or go ahead. Oh, Rick Phelps wants, uh, wants Sherry to call uh, his wife Phyllis June on the patient <laughs> Can you please pass along a soup cone of patience to Phyllis June? <laughs> yeah. Oh, too funny. Too funny. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it is. And you have to laugh. I mean, you, you're, yeah. you're going to laugh or you're going to cry or you're going to be really sad. And, yeah. and, I, and I don't think you can avoid any of those during this journey. But I am a true believer what you focus on is what you're going to find. And so for me, one of the biggest gifts in this was teaching me what I really want to fill my bucket full of. And, and I, I never I never before thought, well, I want to be depressed and I want to be angry and I want to be upset. <laughs> right. but, but really you know, we could, we, could, we could be depressed and we can be angry or we could be likable. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and it you know what you what you look for is what you're going to find. So if you're going to look for things that have changed and the loss and focus on that, that might scare you and might sadden you. That's what you're going to find. Versus if you're going to look, you know, as the disease progresses, um, even if it's in the early stages of what still remains in the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know what really clicks, what feels good, what's funny. Um, doing those things, like you said, a lot of times we put off, and um, you know it's it's time to just do them, and do them several times if you can. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> um, uh, you know, like people people were amazed last January when I took mom to Europe. They said, "What are you going to do?" And, you know, I said, "She'll be fine this time, and there's uh, and there's never going to be another time because I don't know what's going to start happening in July." And what starts happening in July means I can't, you know, means I now have what I refer to as the football in the trunk of the car. And the football has a whole change of clothes in it, complete underwear, the whole thing. Uh, it has paper towels, it has wet wipes, it has a plastic bag to put uh, dirty stuff in, it's got extra pads, it's got uh, copies of the power of attorney and the, um, and the trust paperwork and everything else. We're set to go. No matter where we are, that's with us. So that's smart. That's smart. Yeah. It's like in a lot of ways, it's like when you have a little kid, you it, travel to be prepared. Yep. And well, uh, go ahead. It got to a point where my mother wouldn't even come outside anymore. She she couldn't travel anywhere anymore. She was afraid to even get in a car. So. My mother had her share of traveling. We had good times together, so I have I have no regrets with that either. We we, uh, mom, we had good times. Mom's starting to lose the the the, the car thing. Like how like uh, mom mom's had a chronically bad back for thirty years, 
and through some very intelligent friends of mine who I thought, you know, I thought chiropractors were quacks. <laughs> and these very, and these very intelligent friends of mine said, when your mom hurts her back, she's going. And it took a long time to get her to go, but she goes, and we go once a week now to just, just for adjustments. And he taught her how to sit in a car the right way. You know, when we're young, we put our legs in the car first, and we plop our plop our bottoms down and things. The way that you get in the car now is you put your bottom in the seat first and swing your legs in. Mm-hmm. Well, mom yeah. started to forget how to do that. So I have to. Plus the fact that we have a new car and the seats and the um, and the seats and the carpet are all black. We got a really good deal on the car. If I could change things, I'd change the black interior. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah, Be, you know, you've you, you you've heard the story the stories about about how you control some wanderers as you put a black mat right. in front of the door right. because they won't step on the black mat because they think they think it's a hole in the ground. Yeah, yeah, and, so, and the whole depth perception, you know, the more yeah. contrast you can have, the easier they can visualize. My mom. We used to, you know, walk and hold hands. And my mom always trusted me, but when there was a color differentiation, so it might be going from cement to asphalt, she would start doing the the toe tapping out in front because she didn't know if it was a step or a hole or whatever. And and I would tell her, okay, you know, we're on the asphalt now, we're going to cement, or we're on the, you know, but it, it didn't click inside. But she just knew it was a change, and she needed to double-check that, and so she would do the toe-tapping. Yeah. And so I, when I go and teach at um, the high schools and stuff with age sensitivity, I tell the kids, notice when you're out in public with your elderly, you know, around steps or when there's color changes. I mean, even when the tiles just change or it could be carpeting, it, it could be anything. But their their depth perception um, they're, 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 they're their depth perception changes and their color perception changes. And the way that I really noticed this about two years ago, <laughs> uh, I mom loves to go to McDonald's and eat chicken and eat chicken nuggets. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's like, but she knows what McDonald's is because of the colors. She knows about red and yellow. Red. Yeah. And look at almost every fast food joint is has red and yellow in their colors. They're appealing to something very, very basic, like a two-year-old or a three-year-old. Bright colors matter. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is even with the chicken nuggets, a lot of times that can have to do with finger food because um, it's easier for them. Ma- Mom is all about finger food now. Two two weeks ago, I got a fork thrown at me like, what's this for? Take it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, I'll gladly get that out of the way before it goes to my forehead. Now, Kathy right. is, is noting on here that her mom um, really didn't like family gatherings. It just scared her too much. It was too much commotion going on. And I think that's really, really common. It's oh, yeah. too much stimulus. Did you guys see that too? Uh, I see it when uh, uh, mom... I, I see it when there is when there's a lot of music in a church and it's um, as foreign music or horns or things. Uh, she just re- really recoils about it, and she really doesn't like the frappe machines at McDonald's. <laughs> 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 that grinding ice noise is no good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my mom didn't like. Uh, she she never wanted to miss out on a party. But there got to be a point where if there's too much noise or too much commotion, she just couldn't, she couldn't process. Or even we would go out for a buffet, 
and we had to stop letting her go up to the line because she would start one plate and then she'd see something else and she'd put that plate down and she'd grab a new one and she'd start all over. (laughs) She could have maybe five plates going. And so we got to the point of we just have to keep this simple. I know what she likes. And so I would bring it to her. Or when we went to order, instead of reviewing the menu, we would kind of talk about it because she couldn't read anymore. And we always had this thing about sharing. Because so many times she would be really adamant that she wanted a steak, and then her steak would come, and then all of a sudden she wanted somebody's pasta. Yeah. And and so it was like, oh, and sometimes we would just say that they messed them up, and we'd swap, and other times we'd share. You know, it just depended on her mood, and just let it go from there, and not get upset with it, and, you know, go with the flow. Um, uh, uh, since, since I'm doing all the cooking things now, uh, two two cute little stories. Um, you know, I'll, I'll ask my mother. She must have you know, like beef or chicken, and she'll ponder for a second. And go both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. what, what, one one of the other things that I could really tell that mom's ordering and ordering and sequencing was going out of whack was right after she got home from the broken hip. Uh, I, I said, let's have some breaded fish. So I got the, we went to the store and got the fish, and then I laid out the breading materials like the like the flour and the beaten eggs and the breadcrumbs. Laid them all out from right to left. So I said, let's bread some fish. So, so she picked up a piece of fish and put it over on the right in the crumbs first. And then so we fixed that piece. Then she picked up another piece of fish and it went into the egg first. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just, even following orderly instructions that are very, very simple, she couldn't handle it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very much, true. And, and and every person is different, you know. Every 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 person in every moment, because a lot of times it's not consistent. You know, oh, right. It, I mean, I mean, it's 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 maddening. It's maddeningly inconsistently consistent. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean if, if those words mean anything, one one other thing that I um, I flashed on this one just, just a couple of days ago. We have uh, two pretty nice Teflon pans for cooking eggs and things. You know, that, you know, no no stick, and they're black. So of course we would use these pans, and Mom would come in to do the dishes, and she'd get out the scrub pads to clean the black off the, um, off the pan. She didn't oh. realize that the black was good. Yeah. Because of course when you wash one pan and it's stainless steel, and then you get another pan and it's black, you have a hard time figuring out which one's which. Yeah. So, so so clean pans aren't supposed to be black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So interesting. Now, um, Tom, I'll ask this question to you first. When you are with your mom, is there? Do you have a specific goal in mind of your? You know, when you're together, what what kind of outcome you want to have? Uh, I want mom to be as peaceful and happy as she can be uh, when she starts doing her wander from the front room to the toilet to flush the toilet and come back, that's not a happy place to be. So I tend to try to divert her and take her for a ride or do something else well with her. Uh, I just wanted to be happy. I wanted to be as happy as she can be for as long as she can be happy. Right. How about you, Sherry? When your mom was alive, did you have a set goal in mind every time you went to see her? Um, if you re- recall, I had the moment when um, I viewed the videotape of 
I think her name was Naomi. Yeah, Naomi Files. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful teacher. Yes, and um, we had a moment when we connected. Now, I, I came from a family who were not affectionate at all. But after viewing that tape, I was really anxious to, to go visit my mom this one time, and I wanted my husband to stay in the car. I didn't want him to come in. And um, that was the first time that I actually touched my mother, and I kissed my mother. I rubbed her hands. I put lotion on her. I swabbed her lips. And I let her know that I was okay. And she actually uh, showed facial expressions that whole time that, that I was speaking with her. And I knew in my heart that she heard me. I knew she did. And I, I felt good about that. Because, like I said, we weren't an affectionate family, but we touched that day. And it really, and I'm I'm so glad I had the opportunity and I just I, I just don't have any regrets for not saying, Mom, I love you. We never said that to each other. But I knew my mother loved me. She knew we loved her, but we never expressed it. And yeah, I'm glad that I had that opportunity to do so. If that's my Halloween moment um, that I had mentioned in the beginning mm-hmm. of the show. Sherry had, um, we were chatting back and forth on the blog, and you know, she was saying that her mom was, pretty much in the fetal position and didn't really respond and she didn't really know if her mom knew she was there. And and that's a pretty common question that people have, you know, because it it appears that they don't have a clue of anything that's going on around them. And so I I told Sherry, I said, please go to Memory Bridge and it's just memorybridge.com or you can Google Naomi file. And Naomi has um, a validation training program that she does. And she is an an extraordinary woman. And I I bet she's probably late 70s, early 80s. She still is out there training. But she has this one video um, of Gladys. I can't remember Gladys' last name. And it's a woman she had never met before who really was pretty despondent and staff hadn't seen her interact with anybody. And within moments, Naomi gets her reacting and engaged. And it's it's so powerful. I mean, it's like grab a box of Kleenex when you're watching Mm -hmm. this five-minute video because it's so powerful. And basically what, what Naomi does is she takes this woman's hand or face in her hand and she just gently holds her face and then rubs her cheek with her thumbs and tells her how beautiful she is and how glad she is to be in her presence. And, you know, all of a sudden this woman's eyes open and, you know, they're, they're totally engaged. And it's, it's absolutely miraculous. So in talking with Sherry and going back and forth on all of this, I said, you know, the other thing that's really important, because Sherry's mom was in her very end stages, and they weren't sure, you know, how much longer she was going to last. I said, you know, if your mom can hear you or not is irrelevant, but you need to, for your own sake, mm-hmm. tell her everything you have to tell her. Don't worry if she's going to react or how she's going to react, but your soul needs to do that. And and most elderly, it's been my experience in my lifetime anyways in working with them, um, there's a lot of families like Sherry's that aren't affectionate. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I wish I would have broke the cycle. 
mm-hmm. and Sherry broke the cycle. Mm-hmm. And it was just so beautiful. I, I was at a conference, and I couldn't wait to get back up to my hotel room to see, did she go, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really it was really a beautiful experience and I'll never forget it and I'm glad that I did it. I'm yeah. so happy I did it. Yeah, I just I just cried in my hotel room. I was just like I was so proud of you because that it, that took a lot of courage to do. Yes. Because it wasn't the norm. Yeah. It, it wasn't the norm to say, Mom, I love you. We just didn't do that. Yeah. yeah, and I, rem- I remember you saying, you know, she would lay in the fetal position, and you said, you know, she her body moved, and she mm-hmm. cooed like a baby, mm-hmm. and you said, but her eyes didn't open, and I said, honey, she's not going to give it to you all at once. You know, you got to go back for something be, else another time, but, but it was just be, a, it was very Be thankful for what you did get. Okay. Yeah, right. Right. See, Sherry, my family experience is completely the opposite of yours. Uh I can remember now. Remember, uh, my dad flew jet planes for a living, so you wouldn't think of him as being the most affectionate guy in the world. But what we used to do about once a week is we would all get together in the middle of a room and hug and kiss each other and have loving time. Oh, <laughs> and mom still come like this morning. We we were at nine we were at nine o'clock mass this morning, and mom turns to me and goes, "I love you so much," and then starts showering me with kisses. Oh, <laughs> but you know, now, 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 true, and 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 um, and one of the other funny things is we never. It was, it was almost verboten in our family to curse, so you knew that when somebody's really mad, and when something comes out, they're really mad. <laughs> <laughs> Mom to this day has not said any nasty word. Oh, I can't say that about my mom. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't either. My mother <laughs> never spoke that way, but she did in the end. <laughs> yeah. My oh, mom would yeah, carry a bar of soap in her purse to correct us when we were younger. <laughs> so it was quite the shock coming out of her. Um, I'm going to grab a caller here, just a second. We've got somebody at a 253 number. Are you with us? Yes, I'm here, Lori. It's Leanne. Oh, hi, Leanne. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. What can we help you with? Do you have a question or a comment? Or? Well, I was just wanting to call in and say that I I can completely agree and understand with the the things you guys are talking about. It, it's it's a great show. We've seen um, all of this with my mother-in-law since she's been diagnosed last year with Alzheimer's. And, uh, I mean, just right down to the wire, pretty much everything that you guys are talking about, and it's, it's really difficult to see them walk through it, but you know, like like all of you guys have been saying, trying to to stay as close to them in their world is um, the, what's what you've got to do, and it's what we've found that really helps her the most. So yeah. keeps them calm, and when they're calm, we're calm. You know, right. yeah, exactly. Something we forget sometimes when we're in this structured mode of getting stuff done, and it's like you know what. It's kind of a saying, you know, when mama's happy, everyone's happy. <laughs> right? right? And all those things that we think are important aren't important to them, and that's the biggest thing. You know, that's the hardest thing to remember, and it's so important that we do. So, well, it's tough. In my experience, it's like, who cares if the bed doesn't get made? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and it's, it's taught me that, it's, you know, what they're right. A lot of the stuff that we worry about and we – panic about isn't important in the scheme of things at all. 
Yeah. And so, you right. know, don't, don't come to my house because it's a little messier than it used to be because it's not so important anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and like Tom was, like Tom was saying about his mom that she did everything. She was like the Martha Stewart, and that was my mother-in-law too. And so, I always made sure that everything was just, um, just so. And she's just not that way anymore. She comes to our house, and um, she she can't understand the dishwasher. She can't understand. It hasn't for years. You know where anything goes or what to do with anything, and I realized, you know, what I have to do with her is actually help her to understand it's not a big deal, yep. that it's okay, it's okay, Mom, you know, it's it's fine, let's just put it right here on the counter, okay, let's, let's go do this, let's look at this or whatever, and kind of redirect her a lot of times because those things were always very big with her, and I think somewhere in there she still feels like... Um, they, she still feels that little bit of a feeling like she should know where this stuff goes, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult when she can't draw on that. So we just kind of try to redirect her. So. Yeah, or, or you know, sometimes saying a white lie that oh it's broken, dishwasher's broken. Yes. So yes, we don't absolutely. we don't have to worry about it. Rick just made a comment here. Don't split the small stuff because it's all small stuff. Once all <laughs> right. <it's good. laughs> right. That's very true. The most important thing is, is them. How, how, about, how about if I ask a um, how about if I ask a question because I, um, I during during this whole uh, this whole dementia experience with mom one thing has really made me happy and I'll tell you what it is and then um, and then then if anybody else has one that they can throw in uh, feel free my mom decided to give up driving by herself well that's she a blessing she only drove to one place during the week anyway the chiropractor and we arranged our schedule so that I can drive her there now. I, um, I, um, I did all the driving. I you know go go shopping on the weekends and stuff. Mom decided she was afraid of driving, uh-huh. and she and and she put the keys away and she's never asked since. Okay. Wow, that's a blessing. That's <laughs> okay. I didn't have that problem. My mother didn't know how to drive. As a matter of fact, <laughs> um, uh, during her illness, um, she bought me a brand new car just so I could chauffeur her around. Because my mother, um, she she knew that something was going on, but she never admitted it to me. So, well, that's one cool mom. I hope she got you something. Oh nice. yeah, <laughs> she, and she would say, "I like that car. When did you get it?" I'm like, "Mom, <laughs> you bought it for me." <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, so I was her chauffeur for okay. a good three years, and I did, I loved it until she just would not get in the car anymore. Okay. Well, it's it's a it's an interesting process, that's for sure. I have a question now, Tom. Does does your mom really know who you are? She knows what my name is because I happen to share the same name as my father. Uh huh. <laughs> so she knows she knows that I'm Tom, but there uh-huh. are days there are days when she will say, "Well, you're my brother," or "I'm her cousin." Or some one day I was her father. Uh huh. So she she knows that I live in his house and she knows that I take good care of her. Uh, one day several several months ago I was just that man who takes care of me. Okay. So I think she knows I'm her son. Uh huh. I can um I can um I can show her old pictures from baby albums and she'll go oh I know that I um I know him. Mhm. Uh, I kind of think she knows who I am, but I don't really know because. 
you know, we're, we're we're together most all the time. Okay, okay. And I'm going to try to fix. Apparently, nobody can hear us except us on the phone. So this is kind of a new thing. They're asking me if I've paid the bill. So I'm going to let you guys kind of chat for a while, and I'm going to see if I can get us some help on the line here. Okay. And okay. Um, get this fixed. So. <laughs> um, if you don't mind, just, you know, talk a little bit more about your experience and maybe if you've got some recommendations for caregivers on what would happen, um, what might help them in the process. Okay. Um, no. Can I chime in on that? Go, go right ahead, Sherry. Okay. Um, if the caregiver can re- recognize it, that it's a very overwhelming experience and you need people to help you. Uh, you might feel that you, you can do it alone, but you really do need others to give you a break. And, Tom, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. You are a wonderful person. Well, and I just met I, you, but you are wonderful. <laughs> well, my breaks are when Mom goes to bed at night. Okay. She'll, she'll go to bed by 6.30 or 7 o'clock. Oh, and, that, and, 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 and that allows me a good two or three hours to do what I want to do. Oh, okay. this, this has been a break. His mom's mom sat in the living room and you know babbled gibberish oh, okay. and things, but mm-hmm. she ha- she hasn't been wandering around. She's been in one place enjoying the flowers that are in the vase. Okay. And 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 I think it's because she can hear my voice and she knows that I'm doing something, but she's just happy and content doing what she's doing. Uh the other thing, one one other thing that I found that really helps mom a lot, and this goes back to mom's background. Mm-hmm. Uh, mom went. Uh, mom, mom's college. She went to Northwestern University and, um, and started studying music and played the violin. Oh, that's wonderful. So, and, and we went to the symphony out here for twenty, twenty-two years. We, we do ten or twelve times a year. Can't do that anymore. But mm-hmm. we do nowadays have immense abilities to play music anywhere you are. Mm-hmm. So we so we sleep with. A radio on, actually, uh, now actually, it's an iPod Touch doing internet streaming, <laughs> but there's, uh, there's always music on, so that helps mom kind of center herself around the music. Now, true, she doesn't necessarily know what the music is, but she likes it. New car, I can plug an iPod into it, and she loves listening to the Boston Pops for some reason. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and. She'll clap along with things. It's like, wow, this is truly amazing. She, she, she's engaging in a completely different level than she ever would before. Uh-huh. I couldn't even use music. Uh, my mother always, you know, she got to the point where she thought people were in the box yeah. trying yeah. to come out to get her. Yeah. It was, it was bad. Yeah, so, so was uh, bad. you know, uh, uh, mom... Mom's gotten to be a little bit that way. When, when she gets tired, she'll look at the TV set and what are these? Who are these people? And who invited them in the house? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even when I just did that and kind of, and kind of chuckled, Mom chuckled along with me from the other side of the room. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, it sounds like we have sound again. People went off and got back on again. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what happened there because I could hear you guys perfectly fine, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounded like different people were having difficulties at different times. So, Lord only knows what, <laughs> what's well, that, going on. That's what happens when, when, when we have these wonderful electrons moving from telephones um, across this thing called the Internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you guys have any advice for somebody who is worried maybe about their memory? 
on what you would recommend for them? Oh, wow. Uh, Go ahead, Sherry. <laughs> sometimes I worry about myself, but um, I have no advice. I, I would, I can't steer you that way. Not today. It, it's it's kind of scary to me. What I forget simple things that I shouldn't forget. But um, I re, I refuse to get a test. I I just won't do it. Yeah, I, I know for myself, there's times I forget. And like I said, if you ask my daughter, she will just tell you I don't have a brain at all. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know she'll say, can you do this? And I'm like, yeah, write me a note, leave it on the counter. Well, can't you remember? No, I can't. No, just I write can't. Write me a note and leave it on the counter because I got way too much stuff going on. And plus that I have proof of what she really asked me to do and if she asked me to do it. <laughs> because sometimes I don't think she always asks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I- I've, um, I, um, I find myself doing uh, doing more and more mental gymnastics kinds of things just to make just to prove to myself that I haven't lost it yet. Okay, okay. <laughs> then it's like, okay, I can count um, one hundred ninety-one, eighty-two, seventy-three. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. There's you know there's lots of brain games out there, and you know lots of different things people can do. I haven't done anything in terms of a, a certain routine. I do have. Um, one friend that brushes their teeth, it's a couple, and they're, they're just the cutest couple. They're like 75 years old. And he, uh, well, they were both in the medical um, profession. He was a doctor. But they, when they brush their teeth, they, they'll stand on their right foot and brush their teeth, and then they'll stand on their left foot and brush their teeth. Right. And, then, and then they switch hands for, for dexterity just to test their brain and make things shoot from different angles and stuff instead yep. of just getting into these repetitive habits and and so it's kind of interesting. Or even when they go out to dinner, they will order wine, but they won't know what it is. And they'll just tell the person, this is the type of wine that we're looking for. You pick it, and then we're going to try to guess. And then they rely on their senses to try, oh, you know. And, and so they, they've, they've created all these kind of games in their life just to keep their mind active mm-hmm. and test it, which I thought was pretty clever. Yeah, uh, pretty- those are... Those are very, very clever ways of of, of 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 exercising the neural connections we all have. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and 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 I tend to do it a whole lot by just sitting in front of a computer and you know doing not doing random web surfing, but trying to learn as much as I can about uh, about Alzheimer's and dementia and, and whatever else, and keeping up on the news. Right. Mm-hmm. For, for, from all over the place, by, by the way, too. It's like, like, okay, so so I read the Guardian every day. Yeah, it's an English newspaper. Now, Kathy just noted that um, she said she's been. Um, what did she say here? Um, something about she had small mental um, tests after her mom passed, and the doctor said um, that if let's see, if she passed it. I'm not saying this right, Kathy, because I'm not reading it good. Um, let's see, but I keep doing crazy little things, and I forget what I was doing or what I was saying, and things won't come out of my mouth. And, I, you know, I would tend to, you know, if you pass the test and you're still having those issues, my my suggestion would be to go to a second opinion um, and, and go to a neurologist, because a lot of times a general practitioner doesn't really know the test to take. And... And just, 
I'm a firm believer in early diagnosis. I've joined up for uh, a group that is with, it's called the Minnesota Memory Project, and it's a research project for caregivers, and it's to test our stress levels. But I think part of it is probably to test us and our memory, because there, there were some pretty significant memory tests that we did. And I remember at the end of the test going, are you going to let me out? <laughs> because, because I like, didn't think that I did all that well. She's like, oh, you were fine. And I'm like, really? Yeah. She's like, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, before you let me out, here's my driver's license, here's my passport. Now just let me go yeah. home. <laughs> but she said, well, we have to be prepared for somebody who has kind of a photographic memory, if it's a yeah. visual, spatial thing. And I'm like, oh, thank God, because I was thinking, how could anybody ever get this done? <laughs> I mean, I thought, oh, I'm going to the locked ward. They're just not letting me out. (laughs) But it it is stressful. And I think, you know, it's worrisome. When I got the packet of information, I, I, and I called. I I made the appointment myself, you know, and I I really wasn't having any memory problems. But it was still stressful to see that packet, that questionnaire there sitting on my desk. I didn't even open it up for two weeks. And then when I went through everything, I caught myself in lies because they ask you different questions in different ways, you know, and I'm like, well, if I read it this way, I would answer it this way, and if I read this question, then I'm like, oh, it's really the same damn question. (laughs) And so, and then when I made the appointment to physically go in and do the test, you know, I really tried very hard to make sure that I got a good night's sleep two or three nights before and that I ate better. I was much more conscious because it's like, you know, all that stuff adds up in our daily life, but we take it for granted. But then all of a sudden, I'm going to be tested, so I am going to eat better. I, I'm not going to have as much gas. Oh, 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 kind of like, okay, we'll make up for, for, for years of neglect by being really good for three days. Right. <laughs> three days. How silly is that? How silly is that? But it just showed how much it weighed on my mind. Yeah. the whole thing, you know, and it'll be coming up to go in and do again, and, you know, I'll be a little more prepared because I'll have a, a better idea, but I thought, you know, if we don't start stepping up to the plate, doing some of these tests or even signing up for the autopsies, you know, they're not going to be able to find a cure, and yeah. we they need the research, and so, you know, we can't we can't complain about not enough services and not enough this and that if we're not willing to step up to the plate either. Just my, I'll get off my podium on that one. <laughs> I don't know. I hear you, Lori. I'm just afraid. I'm just really afraid. It is. It's very, very spooky. It's it's very, it's very scary. And the older we get, you know, the more concerns there are. And, you know, they're going to start just testing us, period, mm-hmm. when we go in with this early diagnosis. They're going to start incorporating that into typical physicals and, because they want to catch it earlier, they know that the social impact of it can be huge in and of itself, and so it's so important to have um, to have the diagnosis to to try to be able to identify this. One one thing that I find so interesting about 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 early diagnosis is that the you know the the the, the medical condition now is if you're diagnosed before before you're 65, well. Mm-hmm. Look at look at the first lady. Uh, look at Doctor Alzheimer's first patient. How old was she? She was fifty-one. Yep. So I somewhere along the line, our um, our our modern medicine needs needs to go back and look at history. 
Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, it's it's just different. You know, mom's 84. She she she's got a really good full life, and that's about time for something to happen to mom. When you're 65 and things, that's way too early. Yeah. But um, and and that's probably where most of the research should be occurring, because mm-hmm. you know, that's when you when when you read the numbers for what for what it's going to cost by the year 2050, and you know, I'm sure you aren't going to be dead by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> when you when you hear the numbers, it's just I mean, it, it, it's it, it, it's frightening yeah. to hear how much it's going to cost to care for people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. So in wrapping up here, I, I just I have to thank you guys so much. This has just been a really fun show, and I'm, I apologize for the technical difficulties that we were having here, but apparently we're squared away again. Um, do you have, do either of you have a life philosophy that's kind of helped you thrive and survive through this journey of Alzheimer's with your loved ones? Um, for me, um, I remember, um, it helped to remember to keep my mom's wishes first, her needs, for her dignity was first. And when you do those things, you, you can't go wrong. You know, the process about dying, and Lori, you said this to me, the process about dying is about her, no matter how much it affects everyone else. So that, that kind of, that's kind of helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh what's been helpful to me was uh was <clears throat> goes way back into uh um, into my growing up days and our family with having a dad as a pilot. We were always kind of steeled to the idea that one day he could go away and never come home. Mm. Which meant that we sort of did things maybe impulsively, maybe rashly because we never really knew, and one day Daddy went away and he never came home. Uh-huh. Mom, Mom, on the other hand, is, is going through this slow kind of you know this, this very slow going away, mm-hmm. and we just want to I, I just want to make sure that Mom knows that we're going to do everything um, everything that we can as long as she's able to, and that's kind of been my guiding thing over the last three years has been. So it might be crazy to take her to Europe, but let's do it anyway because we don't know when she won't be able to. Right. Well, and crazy can be fun. <laughs> we we had a blast. Is what we did. Mom shares a birthday with a very famous musician from Salzburg, Austria. Oh, okay. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Oh, okay. So on January 27th, we were at the Mozarteum. Listening to them play Mozart music oh, very <laughs> in in Salzburg, Austria, and the day before we walked by where Mozart supposedly was born and where he lived, and then we uh, went to the Nordsee Fish Market and had uh, fish and chips. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> That's nice. I, I know we took our folks on a on a cruise, and uh, my dad had brain cancer then, and my mom had the Alzheimer's, and. And that was really an interesting journey because my dad complained that the cruise ship wasn't as nice, but it, and it had nothing to do with the cruise ship not being as nice. It was he wasn't able to get around as much. Mom had a ball. You know, I just had to make sure to get down and get him dressed, and then I, we went on excursions that were appropriate, you know, for them. And 
Um, but it was it was a great time, and we have this wonderful family photo, and uh, and we were able to scoot through the cattle prod process of loading onto the ship because they were both handicapped. So that was, right. <laughs> that was aren't, 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 those, aren't those disabled person parking placards wonderful? Yes, they are. I have one myself. <laughs> I, I, I resisted for a long time. I said, okay, we had one for, the, for six months after Mom fell, and I said, the more Mom walks and the more she's able to get around, the better she's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sherry, you may not know an awful lot about the weather out here, but we 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 we're a very a very Mediterranean climate. We have a dry season from May until October, oh. and then from October until April is when it rains. So oh. it's it's fine when you don't park real close when the sun's out. <laughs> but when it rains, it's a real pain when you have to hold on to mom yeah. and walk and carry an umbrella. Yeah, and they carry packages to boot too. That's when that placard thing really comes in handy. Yes, it does. Yeah, and 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 one other thing that I bought a golf umbrella. Oh, a big big umbrella. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because trying to walk with mom in New York City with one umbrella and holding on to mom, forget it. Not work. Golf, golf umbrella works real well. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's a that's a good point, and it's a real simple little tip that doesn't cost much money, but it right. makes a huge it makes a huge difference. It makes those it, little things. I, you know, um, my, I bought one. I bought one for ten dollars. It sits in the car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even your tip on how to get into a car, you know, from the chiropractor. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, because people struggle getting people in and out, and. You know, if you've got a car even where you can raise the seats now, you know, or, yep. or load them yep. if they're shorter, all of that stuff adds up, pushing mm-hmm. it back so there's more leg room. It's just mm-hmm. little simple things that you have to, you know, get into a routine, and then the mobility issues aren't aren't near the problem as, in the, as in they the, were. In it, in this whole thing about having one car which died, and before we bought the other car, then we're in, uh, then we're in and out of rental cars and things. And the rental car people bring you a car, and they expect you to want to get into it. Well, they bought us a Jeep Cherokee. <laughs> and guess what? Mom Why? can't get in and out of a Jeep Cherokee very well. Yeah. How we got mom in and out of a tow truck, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I used to have a conversion van, and I had a step stool. You know, just yep. and it was a real basic one. It wasn't one that folded up because it was just a bigger plastic one, and I just grab it from the back, um, and we used that. And then it got to the point where even for her to come over to the house, and she was only two, you know, in the nursing home, she was only two blocks away from me, but I had to hire someone to transport her and, yep. because we just couldn't do it anymore. And, and that worked out fine, you know? Well, even, yeah. um, even things like when, uh, m- when mom was released from the hospital, um, and, and they hope you put her in the car, mm-hmm. but then but then you have to get home. And yeah. You have to get her out. <laughs> yeah, and, so and it's, like, it's like okay, so you get the wheelchair, you put it right over by the car door, and then you turn to mom and you say, okay, mom, this isn't going to feel so good right now, but what I want you to do is I'm going to bend down and I want you to give me a big hug, mm-hmm. and then and then we're going to pick you up and put you in the wheelchair, okay? And the big hug worked all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good. Now, Tom, I know that you have a blog, 
Uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your blog? And uh, sure. Um, it's, um, it's, um, it's real easy to find if you just do a Google or a Yahoo search for Vibrant to Bland and Blank. And I was... Um, I, um, I got the idea of doing a blog, and I thought that um, I thought you know when I was going through this journey with Mom, well, maybe maybe I should write a book. And I figured the easiest way to get the book started was to start off just by doing a blog. And the vibrant to bland and blank came to me because that's exactly what has happened to Mom. She went from being vibrant to being bland and occasionally blank. She's just sort of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't updated it in a couple of weeks, but uh, go ahead and read it. Go ahead and take a look at it. Comment away if you want to. Say, Tom, either you're right on or you're full of stuff. <laughs> and it's um, it's, um, it's, um, it's primarily a collection of, of small impressions that, I ha- that I've had from, from watching Mom decline. Okay, and, wonderful. And, and the things that I like and the things that I don't like. What I don't like is doing laundry. Because doing laundry usually implies sheets. Usually implies accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lund, true now, General Electric and I have become very, very good friends over the, over the last years. But I really don't like that. I would just rather, you know, I, I'd rather not have to deal with it. I've had people tell me, well, you should put mom in diapers. Well, I can't do that because mom just takes them off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when mom when mom doesn't take things off anymore, then we'll go the diaper route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leanne just made a comment in the chat room saying your blog is great and that she follows it and that it's very touching and very well written. So cool. Oh, thank you. I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get even a larger head than I already have. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that whole book process, I mean that's kind of how I started my blog too, and I still haven't written it. I kind of feel like I have to almost wait till mom passes to write it. Yep. Everyone's like, you can always write another book. And I'm like, you know what? I'll know when it's right. Um, but I have all kinds of stories and tips and lessons and, you know, different things, you know, that I push out on there. Um, how about you, Sherry? Did you do any writing to this, to this uh, journey? Um, I'm, I'm writing actually now. You are? Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I write. Um, I have a little book, little journal book, and I write now. I write down um, how I feel now. It's very healing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I sure have found for myself. I I encourage people to write, and and I know it sounds scary because people go, oh, I'm not a writer, I'm not this or that, but it it could just be words. It doesn't even have to be full sentences. Just to (laughs) get get your feelings or capture a moment in time, Mm -hmm. and you can revisit it later on and maybe do more with it, or maybe that's all you need it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really um, it's really powerful though. Yes, it is. It's really powerful. So, do either of you want to give out um, contact information? You don't have to, but I always like to put that out there. If if you'd like, uh, if one of our listeners wanted to reach out to you and chat a little bit more, if you're open to that, and if not, they can always contact me, and um, you know we can kind of do that on a one-on-one basis. So, Tom, how about you? Are you? Uh, well, since since I'm up on Facebook and up on memory people and things, uh, people can get to me that way. If they just want to send an email, it's T O N E L three. That's T O N E I L L number three at gmail dot com. And I'm uh, I'm usually pretty good about answering emails. Okay, great. And how about you, Sherry? Yeah, um, I could be reached at 
S-H-O-R-F-I-111 at gmail.com. Okay. Well, great. Well, and I, I would love I would love to talk to Rick's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that, Rick? You tell Phyllis June. Sherry's going to give her a little spoon of patience. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Last time out. Uh, well, I just can't thank the two of you enough. You just done a beautiful job tonight sharing your stories with the world and you know, I can't tell you how much people appreciate. I mean, the comments I get on this show um, and about this show have, have just really humbled me because people say the guests are just so beautiful and so helpful and just make people not feel alone on their journey. And you guys were both loaded with some great tips and helpful techniques, and um, you just spoke and it's just nice to hear other people's stories. So, again, well, maybe, maybe, maybe for the community, Lori, uh, I can say thank you for being the enabler and the person who, who kicked this whole thing off. Uh, you're doing wonderful work in what you're doing, as I'm sure Sherry did wonderful work with her mom, and I hope I'm doing wonderful work with my mom and the community that she's around. I keep, uh, I keep mom moving around and out so people can see what it looks like, and you find a whole bunch more impact than you ever thought there was. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And, Lori, you were really encouraging to me through this journey. I mean, I, sometimes I didn't didn't know how I was going to make it, but you were always there, and I appreciate it so much. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate both of you uh, very, very much. So thank you again. I'm going to go into our little wrap-up here, and I would just like all of our listeners um, to help us spread the word about our show if you've enjoyed it today. And again, on the homepage, there's buttons to go ahead and friend us and like us and email us and tweet us and, you know, whatever whatever you're into social media-wise, if you feel that this was a helpful show for you or maybe a friend or a coworker or a family member, please, uh, please share that we're here because this, you know, this is about all of us. This isn't any one person's journey. This is a disease of not just one, but it's a disease of the masses. It's a disease globally, and we have people all around the world fighting this disease. And, and we are, and, and and pardon me, Lori, but we are so much stronger together than we are apart. Very true. Very very true. Our next show is going to be August third, and. On that show, actually, I have a couple of attorneys on, one from Minnesota and another one from California. So Jerry uh, Jerry Cummings and Mary Frances Price will be planning for the future, and we're going to be talking about estate planning because I've had a lot of questions about that. And then on the fourth, I'm really excited to have Joe Skillian on, and he is the author of Confessions of a Caregiver, When Alzheimer's Comes to Your Home. I love that title. (laughs) So hopefully you'll be able to... I'm like, it's like, do I have to answer Alzheimer when he knocks on the door? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I, again, you know, if you're not able to make the shows, you can always come and listen to the archives afterwards. And just a reminder, if you are memory impaired and you're interested in sharing your story with the world, please contact me. You can either call me or email me. Um, contact information is on the website there. And maybe you'll be our next guest. This is um, 
a little scary and can be intimidating. I know Sherry said she was a little nervous today, but Sherry did a wonderful job. It's just a bunch of Thank friends you. talking on the phone. And that's as simple as it is. Um, so, again, thank you all so much. We look forward to um, having you participate in our next show. It was really fun with all the questions um, by phone and um, in the chat room, the activity that we had today. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And remember to think ahead, to go ahead, and use your memory chip tool, which reminds caregivers to ask three basic questions when they're dealing with their loved one or the person that they're caring for. And those three questions are, are they safe, are they happy, and are they pain-free? Because when you focus on those three things and not the task at hand, it will remove not only your ego, but it's going to remove your fear, your frustration, and your sadness. And you're going to help focus on the person before you. And it'll be amazing. You'll feel this great burden lifted when you truly give care to that person. And you can get your free memory chip by just going to www.alzheimerspeaks.com. And so, again, you guys enjoy your weekend. And, you know, thank you so much for participating. Sorry Rick wasn't able to get on the show live. And um, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Thank you very much, and it's cocktail time. (laughs) Yeah, sounds great. Wonderful. Thanks, everyone. Bye now. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.